are there are there going to be dogs in heaven? Oh, I mm-hmm. hope there's I hope there's bass fishing in heaven because I love bass fishing. You know, it's like those are the same question. That's like just asking the same thing. Yeah, it's like oh man, you're really missing it. And when we do that, we're we're setting up that if God doesn't fulfill my expectation of what the good life is in heaven, like what, then I don't want it. Yeah. And if you're focused yeah, on great. that, if you're focused, if you're focused on if your dog's going to be there or if your husband is going to be there, then you might not know the true God, mm-hmm. the true living God. You might not truly know Jesus because that is our prize. That is our that is our treasure. Amen. Everything else will be a bonus. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. Super excited. We have a special treat. A few episodes ago, I was absolutely solo. I was alone. I was by myself. And then it's like my friends responded and said, we don't want you to be alone ever again. And so not just one, but two guests today. So the second time we've ever gotten to do this, but I have Amber and Granger Smith on the podcast. Welcome. Hi. Good to see you, buddy. It's good to see you too. And don't be thrown off. They are actually in the same home, but I requested that they be in different rooms just for capturing video and audio clearly. But they're you're back in Texas enjoying uh, enjoying the season, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, actually um so when we're when we're recording this, we're three days out from Thanksgiving, something mm-hmm. like that, two days. Yeah. And so tomorrow I, I'm not taking a single appointment or meeting or anything tomorrow all the way through the weekend. Ooh, how, okay. Amber, when was the last time something like that occurred where it was just all Granger all the time at home? It's funny. Maybe when he broke his ribs. (laughs) (laughs) So it it took an injury. Uh, Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So do you, when, when you're looking at something like that, do you, either of you begin to make kind of plans around what the time will look like? What does relaxed time look like in the Smith home? Doing a lot of nothing, really. Okay. We like to get out. We like to get out and go to the ranch, which is where we're going to go for Thanksgiving. That's kind of our, our getaway place, but it's just really, yeah, yeah, it's Ranger's moms. And it's just really just us being home together with the kids. We don't really make too many plans to go be anywhere because he travels so much. We just like to, to huddle up in the house. Are you board game people? Are you movie people? Uh, what, what's the, okay. So all the above. Yeah. We're, um, we try to show the kids um, movies that we loved when we were growing up. Yeah. And then we have to, you know, wrestle with them for a little bit to get them to settle down. For, um, for instance, uh, Gladiator. I had to show Lincoln Gladiator. Yeah, right? It's and, like a rite of passage. Um, it's a rite of passage. And he fought that. He just was like, it's old, Daddy. It's old. And I was like, trust me. <laughs> but then, you know, 15 minutes in, he's – going around the house looking for like a loincloth that he could wear and a sword. 
because he wants to be Maximus. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so I was like, I told you, buddy, just listen to me. I told you. That's fun. <laughs> Meanwhile, our daughter is like, no, it's bloody. And she ran out like, of the room. She doesn't like anything violent. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. How, how many times have you gone to show a movie that you remember from growing up and think it's totally safe? It's totally vanilla. Come to find out, you're like, I had no idea. Either the language mm-hmm. or the innuendos. You're like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, so ne- next on my list is is Braveheart. I mean, that's my favorite movie right. of all time, and Lincoln has to see it. But I'm, I think there's a partial nudity in that movie. So um, when that's happened before, I I if there's if you Google that, you could Google them. I forgot what the website's called, but there's a website. It's like parent safe, you know, if something you go like to, that. Yeah. Internet movie database, IMDB. There's a parent guide that will right. like show you all the stuff. So yeah. it'll tell you at, you know, 43 minutes in. So that's what I'll follow that. And I'll fast forward. And Lincoln goes, what are you doing? And I go, it's just, a, it's just love. And he goes, yeah, go back to the fighting. So he's cool <laughs> with it anyway. <laughs> not, not interested in the love. Yeah. That's yeah, great. like when we watch Rocky together, he didn't want to yeah. see anything with Adrian. Just get back to the training, you know. That's great. <laughs> I feel like the ratings were different when we were younger, too, because I go back and we'll show them a PG movie and I watch it now and it is not PG. Right. Yeah. It is almost an R movie. So I think the ratings have changed quite a bit. Yeah, it definitely seems like there was a different standard. What was allowed on live TV as well as, mm-hmm. yeah, movies and things like that. That's so true. Cool. Well, uh one of the questions I love to ask guests, what does the the Lord seem to be teaching you or showing you in this season? So whether that's time in the word or just through other believers uh, and time in fellowship, how is the Lord kind of teaching you things these days? What is he teaching you? Yeah, well, we're both going through um, the McShane plan together still. Um, like we have been for, we started together in March, I think, when we started together. And so um, we've, we've been reading. It's actually interesting because we're both reading Machine Plan, but but we went off at one point because she read she read a version that went to Luke, hmm. right? And mine yes. went to Psalms. So she went to Luke and I went to Psalms, but the other three chapters are the same. For whatever reason, we just mm. looked it up wrong. But um, that helps us as a couple. I highly recommend that for any couple. Uh, apart from your normal study or, or maybe your personal reading, to have some component that you read with your spouse. Mm. Because it, it's, it's really nice, it's, especially when I travel. When I'm traveling, she could be like, did you read Ezekiel today? Mm-hmm. And I could be like, yeah. And she's like, what'd you think about this? And I'm like, I thought the same thing when I read that part. Right That's on. really interesting. So, so yeah, um, when I'm traveling and, and my travel's finished now for the year, thank goodness. But when I'm traveling, I live by that reading, mm-hmm. that morning reading. Um, I, I really hunger for it and need it more than when I'm at home. Um, I, I, I really survive on it because I struggle. I've been struggling a lot when I'm on the road, just, just staying focused. And when I'm not, when I'm not working on the road, I have a tendency to just lay around and stare at Instagram hmm. and it just, my brain just starts 
getting tired, my eyes get tired. And the more tired and the more hungry I get and lack of sleep, the more I want to just do nothing but just look at veg, Instagram. Yeah. 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 And so I just have to, you know, it's, that's very difficult for me. Sorry. I used up all the conversation on that. Well, Amber, what, yeah. What's been some of the, the moments where touching base on the same scripture, what is, what are been some of those things that resonate for you guys? Well, it's funny that you were just talking, I'm going to just say something real quick. Um, You guys were talking about being hungry or vegging. And so the Lord has been really placing on me about how the word of God is such a feast. Mm. And that's so timely for Thanksgiving coming up, but how he, he has this table set for us and how, when we, when we get to open the word of God, we're coming to his table and the Bible talks so much about how we're supposed to, you know, feasting on the word, or, um, I believe it was Jeremiah said, I found your words and I ate them. So that's really what the Lord has been placing on me lately is just to come to the table hungry and devour his word. And, you know, like Granger, you were saying, you, you know, you're hungry, Mm. you know, we're all hungry for it. And we can't survive on little snacks and desserts of little verses here and there. We have to really, truly feast on the word of God and just preparing a table to invite other people as well. So that's what's been on me lately. You know, you guys make an interesting point that we won't sit and think about nothing. Yeah. We'll always try to occupy our minds and our attention with something. And so there's this we're used to going to junk food, right? Just yeah. like we have this physical appetite. It's easier to walk into the pantry and grab a bag of Cheetos than go get broccoli or or actually make something that's nutritious, right? So we're just like our physical appetites want junk food just because it's easy, it's quick, and it stimulates, and then we move on. But it's always just leaves us empty. And mm-hmm. and so there is that realization that you're you're going to occupy your mind with something, so what what would it look like if you literally occupied your mind with the words from the creator of the universe and your thoughts started to become his thoughts? That would be tremendous. So I, I love that example. Yeah. I love that example. Yeah. What are you What are you feeding your soul? Mm. Are you feeding your soul junk food or are you feeding your soul nourishment? Right, right. And you start to, uh, the more you feed yourself junk food, uh, you crave junk food. And yes. you, you need more and more of the junk food just to feel yes. satiated. And so you, it just becomes this weird thing where you you feed yourself good stuff and it satisfies and it sustains mm-hmm. and you endure. And then you come back and you feed yourself the right kind of things. Man, that, that is so good. And there's, there's actually a connection, I think, between uh, eating physical junk food and and not feasting on the word of God. I think there's a connection with those two things, like eating McDonald's. Um, more, the more you eat McDonald's, the less you could read the word of God. That's a strange correlation, but I think it's there. And I think you could make, I could write a thesis on that if I wanted to. But, but I, and there's also a strong connection with um, lack of sleep and those two things. So I, like on day three of this last week's tour, we played four shows in a row, but we, Amber and I were also in LA two days before that. So I was gone for seven days. And on, like on day three, I was so tired. I was bouncing down the road. I didn't get a good night's sleep. And that, that next day, I, what, I just wanted to crave junk food. I didn't want to pray. My prayer life that day was horrendous. At that night, I just it would, my prayer looked more like an apology to God. Mm. Like, 
I did nothing for you today, God. So I, I decided that night before I went to bed to clean my back lounge and my bus spotless. So I put everything away. I made the bed perfectly, all the corners. I put away every piece of dirty clothes and even the pins. I put them back in, in the pin holder. Hmm. And I, I made everything nice, knowing that when I woke up the next morning to read my Bible, I would be able to really feast on it. And it worked. I got up the next morning and I made a cup of coffee after I brushed my teeth. And uh, I lit a little candle back there and it, the room was completely clean and it had been, it had been just been trashed from the tour. And I was, I sat there and got my first really good Bible mm. meditation that I'd had in three or four days. It's very interesting. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards. Uh, so one of the kind of Puritan preachers, maybe one of the greatest American minds to ever exist. He was a pastor in the 1700s in yeah. New England. And he, when he was a young man, just out of college, starting his first pastorate, he had written down kind of these resolutions, things that he, this list of kind of life rules he was going to try to live by. And, and so like he said, some things like he would never read anything else or occupy his mind with anything more than he did the Bible. So if he went and read a biography for two hours, he would ensure that he read the scriptures for two hours in one minute. Like he would never, it was one of the things. The other, another interesting uh, element on that list was that he was very strict about his diet. And he had figured out there were some foods that made him lethargic and sleepy, and there were some that gave him like indigestion or stomach problems. And so he resolved to only eat food and only eat an amount of food that would sustain him, but not necessarily fill him because he never wanted food to cause him to be distracted from the word of God. So if something made him feel bad or sleepy or things like that, he would just avoid it because it would affect the way that he would engage with the scriptures. Just fascinating. There, there's the thesis right there. There it is. There it is. Well, and then that all goes into fasting and how, I mean, that could be a whole other topic for us to get to. Yeah, that's, Granger and I became friends over that topic right there. Yeah. You imagine that yeah. day having tacos, if I, if we had not talked about fasting, it would have just been a, another coffee or lunch and we would have just moved on <laughs> with our lives. But <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so excited to have you guys here. And we came here to read the scriptures. So I say we jump into it. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12. We're making our, our way ever so slowly through the gospel of Mark. So we've been at this for over a year and we still have a few chapters to go. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12. I am reading out of the ESV translation. Uh, you guys can be in whatever translations you want to be, but um, Granger probably has an iPad or something, so he's got 50 billion transit. Whoa, what are you, paper Bible yeah. guy? That's well, new. I'm using my iPad to talk to you right now. Oh, then I like this format. Yeah. So if it gets a physical Bible in your hands, I'm all for it, buddy. <laughs> Going old yeah. school. All righty, we will be in verses 18 through 27. And again, just to remind folks, if you're tuning in for the first time, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we're landing 
at a place and a time in Jesus's life and ministry where he has arrived in Jerusalem. He's visited the temple a few times, and now he's engaging with various groups, uh, and they're beginning to uh, be more and more discontent with him. And so you have a lot of the leadership, the Jewish leadership especially, uh, is focused in on finding a way to stop him. And so we've seen several uh, instances where that's occurred. And so that's that's where we kind of land right now. Uh, we, we prayed uh, before we started this episode, and I would encourage everybody that as you get ready to engage in the Word of God again, this is not a product of humanity alone, but it is the very inspired Word of God. And it is a spiritual book, meaning the Spirit of God is is the one who can give you insight and help you understand things and cause things to resonate, cause things to convict, cause things to encourage that come from this Word because it is His very Word. And so we prayed, encourage you out there listening to pray before you read the Scriptures. But here we go, uh, starting in verse 18. And Sadducees came to him, Jesus, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he left, no offspring, and the second took her, and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but God of the living. You are quite wrong. All right. Some interesting things. So we've kind of got... There's two major kind of brush strokes in this uh, passage. So you've got that the section where the Sadducees kind of are are steering the conversation and they're trying to set up this scenario. And it's most likely they're setting him up because they want to test him or kind of trip him up. That tends to be the practice of any of the the religious leaders. And you've got the Sadducees are a particular group of of Jewish leaders that have a a very particular theology related to the resurrection, which is what comes up here. And then you have the second kind of section where Jesus responds. Okay. So as is our practice here, we first want to make sure we kind of understand as best we can all of the different things. Are there some cultural context issues? Uh, Who's there? What's being said? Who's in the, who's, totally in the audience. So you not not only have these Sadducees, but are there other people present? Those kind of things. So as you guys look at this passage, what are some things that you either say, man, that's interesting, or this needs some explaining? Well, um, this is is one of many times 
when Jesus is going to talk to the Pharisees or the Sadducees and going to question whether or not they know the scriptures. And these are people that know the scriptures better than everyone else in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they know that they have studied them their whole lives to, to an extent where they have become these leaders, these teachers in their own right. And here comes this carpenter from Nazareth that's going to, that, that's not wearing nice clothes and he's not, you know, he, 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 he doesn't have this aura about him like, like they do. And he's going to, not only is he going to say, Hey guys, I think, I think you might be looking at this a, a different way than me or inconsistent with the way I'm saying. He says, you do not know the scriptures in other places in, in the gospels. He says, have you not read? Have you not read? And that's all they have done is read. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's the first observation is we have to understand as we're reading our Bibles, we have to understand what this, the, the audacity mm-hmm. to tell these learned men that they don't know the scriptures. That's huge. Yeah. That last uh, sentence there in 27 you are quite wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the, that's bold. Yeah, but I think that's yeah. a helpful reminder of the relational context here, that he's interacting with people that have devoted their lives to studying the Scriptures and teaching the Scriptures. And this particular group has a view about uh, humanity and theology and the afterlife that is that is particular to the rest of the Jewish uh, community. So they don't believe in a resurrection. And so that's the nature of their question is to kind of trip him up. Maybe they can get him to either offend the other Sadducees. Maybe he, if depending on how he answers, he might offend the Pharisees uh, or other elders. And so they're trying to ask him a question that would pit him as unfavorable to one group or another. And so it's it's an interesting kind of setup. Amber, anything that you notice that is kind of either resonates or you go, man, I think that that needs some looking at. I mean, I think just first offhand, just the seven brothers, mm-hmm. that there were so many. Yeah, big family. And yeah. an interesting tradition that something about a the continuation of a of a line or a family right. Uh, right that there is something about producing offspring and that gets into you know when we one of the challenges that we we have to work to overcome is reading the scriptures with western eyes that we we see through this lens of western civilization a very kind of me-centered uh, individualistic kind of approach. Individual rights matter more than anything else, and individual happiness matters more than anything else. And you start to understand an Eastern context, which is where, you know, that's the context this took place, and that there's this, that's the context it's written in, and the original audience would have also been very Eastern in, in its context. 
And so there's some things at play in the Eastern kind of way of life that's different. And uh, a good, uh, it's been interesting. My, My engagement with folks that are either from Middle Eastern contexts or from the Asian context help give insight into this more than than most because they're still in a very eastern context and by that there's the priority of family uh kind of plays out and honor and shame uh duty over individual rights Uh, these types of things loom loom pretty heavy and so i think you're right amber there's something to this seven brothers and something about kind of the rights and, and responsibilities that a brother would have to this family over themselves and even over the rights of the woman. I mean, it's, that's a very interesting kind of look at it. Like she just gets passed down from brother to brother and that's, that's her plight. Yeah. I mean, yeah. none of that's addressed by Jesus. He doesn't go, you know, he doesn't mention anything about that. Um, yeah, Jesus had um, such a great way that we could all learn from is that he never got he never gets into the weeds in these kind of arguments. Mm-hmm. And that happens today with us when we're practicing apologetics in any form. Um, the the person that's that's objecting to what we have to say wants to take us into the weeds on a path away from the main point. And Jesus never took that path. He stayed right on the main point. He never said, "Well, by the way, if there was if there was offspring, or you, you, you know, by the sixth brother, he never gets into the details. It's like you're you don't you're not seeing the big picture here. And yeah, he keeps yeah. the main thing the main thing. He doesn't yeah. follow any kind of red herring fallacies that that would take him off track. Yeah, but he has the ability to see the heart. He has an ability to even recognize in the broader audience, what's the biggest win here? What's his agenda? Like he's got his own agenda and he sticks to his agenda. He never lets them dictate what the talking points are, which is interesting. He doesn't make it about the resurrection. Uh, He doesn't make it about seven brothers or who, who gets married to who. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so yeah, I, I, we could, you know, you could spend some time trying to get into the, the Jewish context and kind of practice of marriage and, you know, wives and, you know, having kids and, but that's not the point of the passage. That's not what he's, uh, wanting to get into here. So if we try to wrestle through his meaning and and something that I try to do in my own personal time in the Word, as well as here on the podcast, I always want to make sure that I understand what's being said, and then I want to get into what is the meaning of the passage according to the original author. What what are they trying to say, and how does that original audience receive and understand the meaning of this? Then moving to how is that significant for me today? Because if I can understand what the text means uh, by its author and in the original context, then I can understand why that's significant for me today. And it's so easy for me to want to jump to personal significance first 
before I fully understand what the text says. And so if we had to understand what this means, first of all, to anyone who's gathered around listening to this or observing this event, what would this, what would be some of the takeaways for them? Let's say that it's a Jewish audience and you've got a variety of people that are witnessing this interaction between Jesus and these Sadducees. What might they walk away with? Well, the, the biggest thing um, that I see from my, my Western culture perspective is his idea about he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Um, in other words, God, God doesn't see us as alive in one place and dead in another place. He sees us um, through our the, the bigger picture. He sees he sees our spirit, not our our mm-hmm. earthly tent. We only see our earthly tent, and we are here one day and gone the next. To, in God's eyes, there is not a gone the next ever. He sees us um, eternally. Now that's that's mind blowing. That that take could take years to fully unpack um, what he means by that. That God is is not God of the dead. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Hmm. And there is there is profound comfort in that. Um, I I used to think of it in terms of, and I've said this before. It's like we're all fish in a puddle. And God takes takes a fish out of our puddle and puts it in a beautiful lake that's full of abundance and goes on forever. But we're in the puddle, and when one of us leaves, we go, oh, no, it's gone. It's gone forever. We're never going to see him again as our puddle is dr- slowly drying up. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought about that one day when I was driving a Texas County road and, and I saw a creek and like there was a puddle and there was perch in it. In the puddle, every day I would drive by, it was getting smaller. <laughs> and I just thought, what if I, playing God in that instance, went and got one perch at a time and went and took them to Lake Georgetown and dropped them in there? The fish would be mourning the loss of their buddy. Mm-hmm. But I don't see it that way. From my perspective, I'm like, no, I'm you're all alive, but some of you I'm putting in the eternal lake. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yeah, you're from life to life. From life to life. Yeah. yeah, and that's an eternal perspective, right? And I think you're hitting on what could possibly have been one of the challenges for the Sadducees. You imagine believing in God, but not believing in a resurrection or a new life. And so there's there's something about their theology that that has a skewed view of an afterlife. And so what he's challenged like and so they're coming to him with this possible conundrum that they feel like is man this is an uh, a a hurdle he's not going to be able to get over. You got all these these brothers and they have this one wife. Well, if you believe in a resurrection, how could this possibly be the case? And he's like, you, you're, it's like you're asking questions about things that are so irrelevant. It'd be like saying, how tall do you weigh? They're, they're categories that don't even belong together. <laughs> like how much is yellow? What? That doesn't even, right? It's a, it's a, it's illogical. So he's trying to, to produce for anybody who's present 
a right understanding, like you said, or right perspective about God and our existence, and that he's the God of the living. So when he says, I I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, not I was the God of Abraham, I was the God of Isaac, I am mm-hmm. still and currently the God of Abraham who still exists, and Isaac who still exists, uh, not of the dead, but of the living. And he doesn't even like, he just says you're quite wrong. Um, anyway, mm. so yeah, what other ways does this possibly challenge and you could think of it either those that are present in the scene or those that are receiving Mark's gospel, right? We understand that well, this is going to be received by immediately by Christians that are in Rome and in house churches in Rome, and then also in the first century. So, yeah, thoughts? Well, you probably could guess the reason I have turned to uh, Mark twelve twenty four. And it's because of our brothers and sisters in the LDS church mm-hmm. um, who believe in eternal marriage. Um, and this is, I, I don't think there's any other way around it. I don't, I think Jesus is speaking directly and clearly mm-hmm. through this language. I don't think there's any other way around the fact that um, what he's saying is um, there is no marriage in heaven. Uh, and, and, and I think, and Chad, I think we've had this conversation about this, um, maybe a few years ago, we've talked about how we, as earthlings, we could question things like, uh, what have, is, is there, what is there in heaven to look forward to? Right. And remember that the conversation of, well, does sex involve chocolate? Remember that conversation? <laughs> remember that? <laughs> It's almost like we were, I, we might've been even referencing Mark 12 when we were, we were talking about that, but, um, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, asking the complete wrong questions. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What, so what is he trying to help? Because he's, he's brilliantly pointing out that it's the wrong question, but he's also teaching them a valuable truth in not addressing the the wrong question. Yeah. I mean, he's the, the continued theme of his authority and his mastery is on display. Like he's not drawn into some frivolous conversation. Like he's still driving. He still uh, is, is in control of the conversation and what he wants to accomplish is still being accomplished. Yeah, from a broad broad perspective of what we take, I say again, when when we read this in verse 26 where it says, "Have you not read in the book of Moses?" That's literally like telling Nick Saban, "Do you not know football?" <laughs> right. That's a good That's way what he's saying. Yeah. Do, do you not do you not know the the game of football? Of course they have read the book of Moses. And so what does that tell us? What should we ask ourselves if we're reading? Are we understanding? Mm-hmm. Are, we, are we letting the spirit take over our reading where we're, we're digesting it from a spirit perspective and seeing, or are we just reading on the surface and taking what we feel is right and what, what we think should be right in accordance with our feelings and our heart in this world? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's good. We try to we try to get it all figured out, and basically Jesus is just saying you just have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You are quite wrong. He's just putting them in their place, which I feel like a lot of times we can be put in our place that we we have no idea the mind of God. Yeah, we have no idea. And what typically? Yeah, we, go ahead. I, I was just going to say quickly we we could read this Bible. We all know examples. And it's been done for 2,000 years. We could read this Bible and get and make a point in whatever way we feel we should make a point with. We could support uh, a a lot of different things using Scripture if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong to read it that way. And that's what the Sadducees were doing. Yeah, and I think it's, it's sobering to see this interaction, we don't get to see how they respond. In some cases, we do get to see when Jesus challenges the very people that challenge him, they'll respond. And it's typically they are angry and they're prideful and they try to get even with him. We don't know how they respond here, but I think a question would be how would, how should they respond? Right. To your point, Amber, man, if we have a humble approach and a right understanding of our own limitations, that as much as we want to be diligent and, and good students of God's word, we need his spirit to show us things. We will never be clever enough to kind of crack the code or figure this thing out because like Granger said, we can make, we can kind of prove any point we want to by manipulating the scriptures. But that's what Satan does. Satan twists the scriptures. Just look at the temptation of Jesus where he's taking scripture and he's kind of twisting the words of God to try to to draw someone off sides or, or whatever. But if we come humbly and we go, man, I'm just not smart enough to to fully understand this. And so I just have to come with open hands and Lord, you need to provide everything here. I bring nothing to the table. And so please just give me understanding, help me see, help me understand. And when we realize that maybe we've misunderstood something before that we thought we had locked away to be humble uh, and to be pliable in that moment, rather than just hard headed and hard hearted about it and go, no, I want it to still mean this when maybe God shows us something else. And that's that's an interesting thing. I I pray about that so much. I pray, look, Lord, reveal this to me. I don't want to get this wrong, especially if I'm if I'm talking to other people or sharing the good news with with somebody else. I don't I don't want to misunderstand the scriptures, mm-hmm. and so I think we have to pray for the Lord to reveal those things to us and and lead us by His Spirit so that we don't get it mm-hmm. wrong. That is that is the tactic of the enemy is to twist twist things and twist words and yeah. and twist the scripture. Yeah, and confuse people, you know. And God is not a god of confusion. There's a great. There's the example right there. New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, this is uh, this is the Jehovah's Witness okay. uh, Bible. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You and you could take this and you could make you could make very educated arguments. Hmm. Yeah. And so I think yeah, a good a good. I mean, we can transition to the, what's the significance of this passage for us today? And again, 
I don't ask, you know, I, I try to be careful not to ask the dangerous Bible study question, which, what does this mean to you? What I want to know is, given what we've discussed and what this clearly means by the original author, what Jesus was, the point that Jesus is making here, how is that significant for the three of us as we sign off of this podcast and go interact with people and love people and try to represent the truth of Christ? Why is this significant or how is it significant? I love that you said that. Um, what does this mean to you? Let's take that out of the conversation. Yeah. That's so good. Um, and I don't think that's something that has been taught. That w- certainly wasn't taught my whole life. Um, it was taught the other way around. You know, what does this mean to you? Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really profound, Jed. I love that. So we have a couple of things here. It's clearly Jesus is standing up to being tested he he demonstrates this the Sadducees have had a gross misunderstanding of who God is and even their own existence and that there is this thing called eternal life there is a resurrection and they just they don't want to see it uh, we don't again we don't know how they respond to his challenge but he finishes with you are quite wrong and if any other examples from this gospel are, you know, inform us, it would, it's likely that they're going to resist that. We don't know. But we've got a group of, there's other people that are gathered that are seeing Jesus masterfully navigate this, challenge this, and teach truth about who God is and and how people exist uh, as eternal beings and that God is a God of the living, not the dead. So how do we live in light of this truth today? I look at it as obviously making, making God just the center of our lives, not people. Mm. You know, there is no marriage in heaven where it's, it's foreshadowing of, of us being the bride of Christ. And, you know, I, I think so many people get tripped up, and caught up in, well, am I going to be with my husband in, in heaven or with my family mm-hmm. in heaven? And, and it's like, yes, we'll, we'll be with our loved ones, but that's not our goal. Mm-hmm. Our goal is, is, is to be in glory with Jesus. And we are his bride. Are we going to be ready when he comes back for his bride? And not to get caught up on all of these little things that the Sadducees are trying to trick him on. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Because when you put it that way, I realize that we do that today. We people ask all the time, are, are there are there going to be dogs in heaven? Oh, I mm-hmm. hope there's I hope there's bass fishing in heaven because I love bass fishing. You know, it's like those are the same questions. That's like just asking the same thing. Yeah, it's like oh man, you're really missing it. And when we do that, we're we're setting up that if God doesn't fulfill my expectation of what the good life is in heaven, like what, then I don't want it. Yeah. And if you're focused yeah, on great. that, if you're focused, if you're focused on if your dog's going to be there or if your husband is going to be there, then you might not know the true God, mm-hmm. the true living God. You might not truly know Jesus because that is our prize. That is our that is our treasure. Amen. Everything else will be a bonus. Yep. That whatever whatever delight you might have in bass fishing, 
pales in comparison to the joy yes. eternal and the mercies that are new every single day forever. Yeah. Like it's, we just can't compare it. And so we're yeah. going back to what you said before at the very beginning, you guys were mentioning this idea of junk food that our appetites are, we're just, we're too easily pleased. Our appetites are just so, we're just, yeah, whatever we think is pleasurable in this life, it's just, we don't even have the taste buds refined enough to understand what awaits us. Uh, I've used this, and I appreciate the example from C.S. Lewis where he says, it's not that the Lord finds our desires too strong, he finds our desires too weak. And we're like kids playing in mud puddles when a day at the beach has just been offered to us. But we're content making mud pies in a slum. And we have no idea that sandcastles and the tide and the ocean is, that's, that's way more fun. So yeah, yeah. that's some, that's some good stuff. I think, um, yeah, I think the, it probably resonates most, uh, Amber, to what you said, this, this humility, as I approach the word that taking some stock and in inventory of my own, uh, my overrealized sense of understanding or confidence in my own ability to kind of parse this this thing out called the scriptures and truly being dependent and humble and open-handed as I read it and say, Lord, what what do you have for me today? And being willing to to just be humble in that way. I think that's my biggest takeaway here. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. Just as as I know there's a lot of people who probably listen to this who possibly are new believers and have a lot of questions about the Bible. I just have a question about, so he says, um, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Mm-hmm. So how how would you explain that? How do you interpret So yeah, what we understand what about is- angels is that they are, they don't, they're, they're individual. They don't have relationships. They don't have marital bond and that kind of thing. And so they, they exist as individuals, uh, and, and eternal beings, uh, but not made in the image of God. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the point that he's making there is there's no, there's no special relationships that exist in heaven for us. Like we won't get to eternal life and in heaven and, and have a family or something. We're just all going to be adults or mature. And, and I think that's the, the, the point that he's making that we won't be come angels. We won't have wings right. or halos or if those things even exist, but we're going to exist as individuals like the angels do as well as individual personalities. Okay. I think that was my question because I know that we are made in the image of God and the angels in us are, are completely different. So I just, yeah, and I mean it. That. It does bring up a, an inter- interesting conversation around in Genesis when he says, "Let us make them male and female in our image," and then Jesus indicates that there's there's something about this union, and Paul goes on to emphasize it in Ephesians five that this marriage thing is meant to uh, pictorial Christ and His Church. And so you have some of these images where, for some reason, in this life, God designed us 
to exist and to image him through marriage. But that doesn't mean necessarily for eternity that has to be the case either. And I would imagine angels are genderless. Yeah. uh, And so I, yeah, I I mean, he could have made 10 genders if he wanted to, but he made two, and male and female, and that's just how, like, unity, diversity, there's all kinds of cool things, but, man, there's so many mysteries around this afterlife thing. But I think that's a good question. Yeah, if you're new to the Bible, this passage is going to be a doozy. It's going to throw you all kinds of things you want to go, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is, but try, yeah. and what we've tried to do today is just what's the main, what's Jesus really getting at here? He's addressing their hearts and their attitudes about God, not the nuanced theology of marriage and the afterlife or anything like that. I think yeah. that's good. All righty. Well, thank you guys so much for joining. I'm so, just so joyful to have people back on my podcast. And <laughs> <alone>. <laughs> we miss you. I mean, I, I was like, okay, Granger does this. He does it all the time where he's by himself and he's answering questions. But man, it's it's tough to just crack open the Bible and sit there and look at the camera and talk to yourself about it. It's, it's really quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. It reminds me during COVID, we... Uh, we were preaching sermons pre-recorded and then sending them out on Sunday mornings. And so we'd go in midweek and we would literally by ourselves, go to the sanctuary, flip the camera on and preach to a camera in this vast sanctuary, huge room. And it was, it was crazy. It wasn't as bad as that, but it was interesting. So I'm so (laughs) glad. So glad to have people back on my podcast and yeah. uh, look forward to doing this more and more. But um, you guys have a great, great rest of your day. And thanks for taking the you time too. to read the scriptures. If if folks are tuning in and you're hearing this and anything that we've talked about provokes questions, love questions, please email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have a question for Amber or Granger and you want to get that question, you can either email me or you can find them probably anywhere and everywhere on social media on every platform that exists. Just uh, Google Amber Smith or Granger Smith and you can probably find them. Uh, But you can send them your questions or uh, engage in commenting. Uh, The comment section on this podcast is really for you guys to uh, just wrestle with the text together. And so I encourage you guys to leave comments and uh, work through the text. If you're listening to this podcast, and again, you're attending to this not as a believer, not as a Christian, you what you have witnessed is three people that are absolutely 100% convinced this is the Word of God, that God exists, and that He transforms our lives. And that all of us, all three of us, have encountered Christ in a significant way, a way in, from which we could never recover. And He now owns us, and we we belong to Him, and we're stoked about it. Not because uh, of anything we did. No. Or deserved. Uh, yeah. And so we completely trust and rely on the finished work of Christ, that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, physically lived. He walked this earth. He was perfect in every way, but he went to the cross, and he, he, he bore the sins that, that our, our sins, that he who knew no sin became sin, 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we believe that his finished work there, that he died, three days later, he physically, bodily rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And that because we believe in that and we give our lives to him, that his life is now draped over us like new clothes. And so we're clothed with righteousness and the way that God the Father sees us, he sees us as pure and righteous as his son. And that in this life, when we face challenges and trials, that all of those are intentional by God to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, that without those trials, we couldn't be like Jesus. And so we realize that he is very intentional and he has a purpose. If you want to know more about that, go read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Some really good stuff there. Uh, But we believe this stuff and uh, we encourage you to, to ask that question. What do you believe? What do you understand about this life and what this life means? And then what happens when you die? These are questions that everyone wrestles with and what we believe is what the scriptures teach us. And so I encourage you to wrestle with that. If you want to talk to me about uh, giving your life to the Lord and what that looks like, please email me. I love to follow up with you. I always love those conversations. Granger and Amber, any parting words? I just wanted to say praise praise the Lord the whole time you were you were just sharing the gospel. <laughs> praise God. Amen. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Amen. There is a there is a trucker and I don't I for, I don't have his name. But there is a trucker with a Yee Yee sticker on the semi. And on the other side, it says, Take and Read Podcast. <laughs> he showed what? me a picture of it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I told oh, him to email God. it to me so that I could then email it to you, but I will do that. But it's on the road somewhere in America. Somewhere in America. Yep. I just saw him in uh, Iowa. That is so cool. Yep. All right. All right. Well, look forward to hanging out with you guys sometime soon and blessings to you and this break that you're not going to do anything. You're not going to plan anything. You're going to watch some movies, play some games. Yeah. Probably you still have chores and stuff. You have like chickens to feed and goats to take care of, but that's just life. And world cup USA plays England at 1 PM central on Friday. We'll be watching. Okay. Okay. So you guys are world cup people who knew. Hey, you know, the, the World Cup came to Dallas in like 98 or something like that. And so we we lived not too far from the nearest stadium where they had one of these games. And we went one time, I went with my dad and Tyler and Parker, and we were just hooked. It was a, just a crazy environment. Hmm. And then I was I was backpacking in Europe with some friends in 2002 on doing like the hostile backpacking trip and, and the world cup was going on then. And so we saw like Germany play on on TV in some of these places in Europe, just going nuts. And so it's, it's something to see. USA did not make it last time. So that they haven't been in eight years. Amber, are you into this? Or you're just like, whatever. All the boys in my family played soccer growing up, but I just, I guess we're world cup people now. I got the two kids, Amber. I got London and Lincoln hooked on it. We watched the last game against Wales and they fought, you know, I don't want to watch this. And I was like, watch, watch, watch. And then the USA scored like five minutes into watching it. And they just, they were like, oh, wow, this is really neat. That is awesome. I think I just witnessed the realization that Amber just found out she's a soccer fan. 
She didn't know. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Appreciate you yeah. both so much and blessings to everyone out there. Go take and read the word of God. Blessings. Blessings.